Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emart Continuing Chapter 38 The Soul's Awareness of Jesus Christ The first thought of a soul recollected in love in its God is not to consider whether a certain act suggested to it will please or profit itself, but to consult Jesus Christ to see whether it will please Him and be to His glory. The soul is all the happier if, to please Him, it must deny itself and make some sacrifice. This is not recollection in an act or in a virtue to be practiced, like the first two types. It is recollection in the person of Jesus Christ Himself and in a devoted love for Him. This love being the center of the soul's life becomes also the law thereof. Everything Jesus wills and desires Everything that can give him pleasure becomes the pure and all-absorbing passion of the heart. It is thus that a dutiful child lives for a dear father, for a tenderly loved mother, thus too a faithful wife who belongs wholly to her spouse, and I to him. In this stage of recollection, the soul enjoys entire liberty because it lives by the spirit of love. It belongs to everything and to nothing. Everything increases its recollection because it sees God's will in everything. This is the recollection indicated by our Lord's words at the Last Supper. Abide in me and I in you. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same beareth much fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, as I also have kept my Father's commandments, and do abide in his love. Thus perfect recollection consists in abiding in the love of our Lord. Is it very difficult, and does it take long to attain to it? All depends on the love that is in the heart. When love of Jesus Christ has become an habitual thought, full of sweetness and strength, when we desire it with a holy passion, when our heart is sad without Jesus, unhappy in his absence, happy at the very thought of him, then we are abiding in his love. The essential thing is to make all our life contribute to this love, to render our affection for Jesus habitual, our attention to him constant. Finally, the facility with which we practice recollection, the peace and the sweetness we enjoy in recollection, these are divine evidence that we possess it and that we are abiding in the love of Jesus. Abide in my love. May our Lord grant us this love, by which we shall attain to holiness and happiness in this world and the one to come. Chapter 39 The Dew of Grace I will be as the dew. Israel shall spring as the lily, and his root shall shoot forth as that of Lebanon. Hosea chapter 14, verse 6 in the garden of our soul, that paradise of God, we have to cultivate the divine grain, Jesus Christ, sown in us by Holy Communion, 
that it may spring up and produce the flower of sanctity. Now in nature, in growing flowers, the essential thing is to keep them fresh by watering the roots. If the root dries, the plant will die. Fertility depends on moisture. The sun by itself does not make flowers bloom. Its heat alone would make them wither. But it makes moisture fertile and active. Therefore, to cultivate the flower of sanctity in your soul, you have to keep the roots fresh and moist, which means simply that you have to live the interior life. Nature gives dew and rain to the earth. The grace of God is the dew of the soul. Given in abundance, it is a shower which floods it and makes it fruitful. The cultivation of your soul consists, therefore, in leading a life of recollection. Beyond doubt, life in the outer world, however holy and apostolic it may be, always makes us lose a little of our recollection. And if we fail to renew this inner self, we end by losing all grace and all supernatural life. On the other hand, it would seem that, since virtue is meritorious, its outer practice ought to increase our grace every day, instead of decreasing it. That is essentially true. Virtue naturally has that tendency. But the store of interior life we draw upon is small, and is soon expended in action. I base this statement on facts. Ask missionaries whether their zealous activities promote their inner life, and they will all answer no. We are told in the Gospel how a woman approached our Lord unperceived and touched the hem of his garment. She was healed, but Jesus said, I know that virtue has gone out from me. Yet Jesus had not lost this strength. His infinite divine power was undiminished. As the sun darts forth its rays and diffuses its heat without exhausting itself, so God gives without being impoverished. But with us, it is different. When we give our efforts to, of, to works of zeal for our neighbor, we decrease our store of supernatural life. This is not, I repeat, something inherent in virtue itself, but it comes from our weakened and degraded state, our constant tendency to fall, so that we never perform external acts of virtue without losing some part of our interior strength and needing to return to the inner life for rest and recuperation. Mind you, I speak not only of brilliant and arduous labors, such as preaching, the direction of charitable works, study, and the hearing of confessions. No, it is the simple daily occupations to which we are bound by the obligations of our state or by obedience that use up our spiritual reserves. And unless we frequently renew our intention, they will be fatal to us. We shall become machines, and machines even less perfect than the steam machine, which gives forth constantly and regularly the power of which it is capable, while we ourselves cannot long keep up the same pace. We shall become a monstrous machine. The world is always with us, and however retired our life may be, finds stealthy entrance into our heart. It is so easy to let self-love enter where the love of God alone ought to dwell.
What I say of outside activities and manual labor is true also of study. Even your study of God, of Holy Scripture, of theology, the highest of all knowledge, will puff you up and make your heart arid if you do not unremittingly cultivate the interior life. Your mind will gain ascendancy over your heart and make it an arid waste unless you diligently refresh its life with aspirations, good intentions, and yearning toward God. Knowledge is only an aid to piety, but piety sanctifies knowledge. It is different, however, with religious labors which demand great care, such as sermons, confessions, and the direction of charitable works. You expend more spiritual energy in them, and your need of recuperation is greater. The baptismal water, said St. Chrysostom, which makes the Christians so pure, is nevertheless very unclean when it comes from the basin after you have been plunged into it. And I say to you, are you willing to suffer the loss of your own soul in order to save others? What a misfortune! The higher one rises in dignity of office, the greater the loss to one's inner life and the depletion of one's spiritual forces because everyone draws upon them. For that reason, one has then to pray more. The saints worked in the daytime and prayed at night. The victorious soldier must return to his encampment to rest, or the flag of victory will drape his beer. The harder you work, the greater your need of retreat. The world is strangely deceived in this regard. Look, people say, what a beautiful life. This person has not a moment to himself. He sacrifices himself entirely in the service of others. All very good. But on closer examination, I find certain defects in all this good, which makes me suspicious of so great a zeal. The leaves on this fine tree, it seems to me, are beginning to turn yellow before their time. There must be some inner blight. You see it dying little by little. It lacks the true sap, the inner life. We must be as closely united to God inwardly as we are in the performance of good works. Well does the devil know how to make use of our ignorance or neglect of this principle to send us to perdition. When he sees a zealous and generous soul, he urges it on and makes it so absorbed in work that it is unable to look within. He affords it a thousand opportunities to waste its forces until it is utterly exhausted. While it is thus taken up with the troubles of others, he undermines its defenses and ends by taking full possession of it. Oh, how quickly we wither between the scorch, beneath the scorching sun of action when our roots do not lie deep in the fresh ground of the inner life. But, you say, I simply must work. There is so much to do. God's work calls me on every side. True, but take time to eat and sleep if you do not want to lose your wits. Yes, there is great danger in devoting oneself too assiduously to outside good works unless we continually watch over our soul to see whether we still keep in the law and walk in the straight way. This has been taken from 
Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emart. This and other books by St. Peter Julian Emart, the Apostle of the Eucharist, are available through MMR Publishing. Call toll-free 877-395-2320.